Let's begin with a short opening prayer. Our loving and heavenly Father, we are truly thankful for this day. We're thankful for your word. Um, you are a holy God. You're perfect. You do not change. You don't have to change because you are perfect and holy and just and righteous and loving and gracious and merciful, Heavenly Father. But we know that as the theme is for this weekend that, that we need to leave here changed. We need to change. Heavenly Father, so we pray that you would speak through me um, and we'd, you would open up your word and show us marvelous things from your word. Be with everyone who is here present and we commit this service in the name of Jesus to you. Amen. For our reading this morning, so the theme for this weekend is Leave Here Changed. If you saw the flyer from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. So I want to stick with that verse. I might back up just a little bit so I read more than one verse this morning. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, let's start at verse 10, and we'll read to the end of the chapter. Paul's second epistle or letter to the Corinthians, chapter 5. Second Corinthians 5, starting at verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that you, might, you may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge, that if one died for all, then we're all dead, and that he should die for all, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. And in the theme verse, verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. In him. May God bless our reading this morning. The Lord is worthy that we pray to him now, and then let's all stand for a prayer, but I don't want to leave us. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we come before you in this beautiful Sunday morning to worship you and to adore you. Thank you, Heavenly Father, that you did not leave us in our sin. You did not leave us to writhe in pain and suffering for all eternity. But Lord, you sent your glorious Son, Jesus Christ, into this world, truly God, truly man, 
We thank you, Heavenly Father, that he paved the way for us. Live this beautiful life, this perfect life, this righteous life. Lord, that we could have that righteousness. And Lord, that we could give him our sin. Nail it to the cross. Lord, that we could become more aligned with you. And Lord, that only happens through change, through changing our minds, through repentance. And Lord, we thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have given us this power through your Son, Jesus Christ. You have given us this power through no man comes unto the Father except the Father draw him. And we pray in this morning hour that every unbeliever here that you would call and draw them. Lord, we implore you. You desire that we would pray unto you, that we would move the mighty arm of omnipotence through our prayers, and we ask great things of a great God, that those who do not know you here, whether it's our children, our parents, our friends, our siblings, that you would call them and prick them and show them the need of a Savior, show them their sin, show them how they need to change, they need to become aligned with you, and that is only through your Son, Jesus Christ, that he bore our sins. Lord, we confess our sins to you. Lord, as believers and unbelievers, we confess our sins to you, and we ask for your forgiveness, and we thank you that we can find that forgiveness in Christ who sits at the right hand of God interceding for us. Lord, we love you and adore you, and even as us as believers, we pray that we would come to the cross, change our minds in areas that in this morning hour, as Brother Mike reveals the word to us and expounds upon it, areas in our lives that we see that we need to change, help us to have the humility to change, the humility to realize that we were wrong in whatever area that would be, and come more and more into the image of Christ. Image bearers we are, and we pray that we would become more and more like you and your son. Bless us now. Bless the congregation. Bless the songs that we will be singing. Bless the choir. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that we are able to gather. We love you and adore you and praise you continually. In your son's name we pray this. Amen. It's my, it's my privilege to be with you this morning as a vessel of God to share God's word to you, and I thank you for your prayers. So yeah, our, our theme verse, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Leave here changed is the title of my sermon. Sometimes it's difficult to give a title for your sermon, to give a summary, but it was already given to me. So um, I just took the theme and... That's what I'll stick with. Like I mentioned in the prayer, God does not need to change. God doesn't change. God is perfect. There is no need for him to improve upon himself um, at all. He is all-knowing, all-powerful, loving, righteous, just, holy. We could go on and on and on and on. The writer to the Hebrews in chapter 13, verse 8, says that repeating what the Old Testament prophet said, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Our God doesn't change. But for us, it seems like the only constant in our life is change. 
There is change all around us as I consider this theme. I considered not long ago, it was night, and we were all in darkness, and then the light came, and this happens every single day, this change, from darkness to light, from night to day. Even the seasons that we have, the four beautiful seasons in Ohio that I trust that you have in, in Canada as well, that as we're going from winter, and Lord willing, pretty soon, I'm looking forward to it, to, it, to spring, um, I'm ready for a little bit of sunshine myself with the gloomy days in, in Ohio, Cleveland area. The calendar, as we, as we grow, and, and I'm a runner myself, and I run along trails, and I see trees and plants as they're growing in, in spring, and they, they blossom forth, and there is change. There is babies around us, and we see them growing. We ourselves feel ourselves aging. There is changes even in our workplace. Um, on Thursday mornings, I'm part of a change advisory board committee where we talk about the changes that are going to happen in the next week or two, and do we have any concerns about those changes? Um, changes for cybersecurity, changes for scalability, um, just all sorts of changes that we have going on. I think of the change even in our own lifetime. Just look at a telephone. Uh, back when I was growing up, I had a rotary phone. Does anyone have a rotary phone these days? And then I had buttons on my phone, and then I had a flip phone, and now I have a smartphone. And that's just in my own short lifetime. Um, seeing all this change, seeing the change in our transportation, in our cars that we drive, and that's just in my own life. But I think that God has a message built into all of this, all of this change that we see around us. God is trying to get, us, get our attention every single day, and God is saying to us, during your short life, you need to change as well. This is a parable for our own lives. You need to leave here changed. Before your life is over, you need to change. The way you came in, the old Adam, the old sin sinful, rebellious man, that's not going to do. Just like all of nature, you need to change. So our passage in 2 Corinthians today is just a wonderful passage so Paul, you will recall in Acts 18, he is uh, traveling from Athens, and he's going into Greece. He goes to Corinth, and he meets um, Aquilus, and he, he meets a couple tent makers. They have the same trade as him, and there's a synagogue there with the Jews, and he's spreading the good news of the, the gospel message, and a church begins there. A church that he writes to in 1 Corinthians has all sorts of different problems, and Paul, like other New Testament writers, has to send them letters sometimes to when they're veering off from the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel, he has to point them back to the gospel all the time. And when they're doing something correctly, he has to encourage them. But the gospel is to him central. So, again, so in 2 Corinthians, what's happening, just briefly, and I know Brother Eric has been going through um, 2 Corinthians here locally, but in 2 Corinthians, there are some false teachers that have come up and say, you know, we question the character and the authority of Paul. You should not listen to Paul, they're telling the Corinthian church. And Paul has to reestablish and remind them of his calling. But in all of this, Paul says, 
that in 2 Corinthians, God shows his power through human weakness, even in his own life. In chapter 4, he says that I'm just, just uh, like, a, like a jar of clay. I'm just a vessel to God's honor. I think Paul is saying in these wonderful gems of the gospel in chapter 5 that it's not about me. It's not about the Apostle Paul. It's not about my calling, my authority. All those things are God-given, but it's about God. And it's about his gospel message, his message of reconciliation, that God wants to be your friend, as we sang last night and heard the special number. God wants you to be reconciled, to be brought back together with him in this message. We find in, in this short passage that we read this morning some of the most precious gems of the gospel here. So this verse that I want to focus on in verse 17, it says, therefore, referring to the things, whenever you see therefore, it has to be some, therefore something, and you look back and you see what it was there for. So therefore, because all have to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, therefore, knowing the terror of the Lord, we're persuading men. It's about God's message, the gospel. And Paul is saying, I'm not commending myself. I don't want you to glory on, the, on the behalf of me as the Apostle Paul. But he wants to bring them back to the gospel message. And the way he does this and says that the love of Christ constrains us. He says that if one died for all, then we're all dead. That he died for all, that they which live should not live henceforth for themselves, but live for the one who died for them. And he says, therefore, if any man be in Christ. So Paul is using this preposition in many of his letters, in, in Christ. What does that mean? Is everyone in Christ? It is a qualifying preposition. Not everyone is in Christ. Only those who believe in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord of their lives, as having authority over their lives, are in Christ, are abiding in the vine, as Jesus says in John 15, where he says to abide in me. Without me, if you're not connected to me, the vine, Jesus says, you have no power, no strength, you're nothing if you're not in Christ. I think of being in Christ as we plug in things to electrical sockets. But if you don't plug that in, if it's not running on battery, it has no juice, no power. It can't turn on. We need to be connected, plugged in to Jesus Christ. And if we're plugged into Jesus Christ, as Brother Irwin prayed, we have freedom from sin. We have freedom to serve God and others. We have no condemnation. We are made right in our relationship with God. We have peace. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling within us. We are united with Jesus Christ. Old value systems, old priorities, old beliefs, old speech patterns, old behavior are all passed away. And we have the forgiveness of sins paid for in Christ's substitutionary death on the cross. And Paul is just having a the gospel in a nutshell here in verse 21 at the end of the chapter. He says, For our sake, he made him, he made Jesus, who knew no sin. Jesus never sinned. He was a completely perfect man. He was also the Son of God. 
so that in him, if we put our trust, our weight on Jesus Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. This transfer by imputation, we trust in Christ, we trust our, we have our filthy rags, our sin, he is completely perfect, we trust in his perfection. God grants and imputes and exchanges, puts to our account his righteousness in our place. A wonderful exchange. A change that we're going to talk about this morning. But for us, change is hard, isn't it? Though we're surrounded by change, we see change, change is hard. Especially to change our ways and to repent and trust in God. We as human beings, are we love routine, don't we? We love our, our, our routines and our plans. We love our comforts. And change forces us to move out of that comfort zone. There is also a resistance to change. Though God wants to change us, there's a resistance to change. I looked at the word inertia, and inertia means a tendency to do nothing or to remain unchanged. Maybe there are some of us in this building this morning that are remaining unchanged. And my prayer, my fervent prayer is that God would change you. I can't change you with any kind of logic or speaking or anything, but God and his word can do the change. That's what I trust. A second definition of inertia is a property of matter by which it continues in its existing state of rest or uniform motion in a straight line unless that state is changed by an external force, by an alien external force. We all know this too, for those who are brothers and sisters in Christ. We, we said that during our testimony, we've confessed, we tried to change, and we realized we couldn't change on our own. We tried to clean up our act, we tried to tighten our shoes, pull up our bootstraps, and it didn't work. We failed, and we failed, and we failed until we realized we need God to make a way. As Brother Devin said last night, we need God to make a change in our hearts. Self-improvement will not do. And so what I thought, because of this, change requires in the spiritual realm humility. The opposite of stubbornness and resistance to change, it comes with our pride. We need a good soil, soft and easy to change, because our hearts naturally are like rocks. They're hard to change. And so I love this, that Jeremiah the prophet and Ezekiel the prophet, he says in chapter 36, verse 26, and he says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And check this out. He says, And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a new heart, a heart of flesh. I'm going to give you a heart transplant. The inner core of your being, not just your physical um, heart that's pumping blood. He's talking about your inner person that drives all that you are. And I thought about what are these change agents that God has. And I'm not going to cover them all in the short time we have this morning, but I thought of God's Holy Spirit. God's Holy Spirit is key in regeneration. God's Spirit is. 
So God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and the Father um, has his role, and the Son has his role. He came, took on flesh to become like you and I. He humbled himself. He lived a perfect life of teaching and ministry and healing, and he went to the cross, and he died for our sins that if we trust in him, we could have eternal life. And he was buried, and he rose again the third day, and he ascended back to the Father. But we have the Holy Spirit, so a little before Jesus was going to the cross, he comforts his disciples in John chapter 14 and verse 16, and he says that the Holy Spirit is going to do several things in the world, this worldly system of antichrist, ungodly people. And he says in the King James, reprove, other translations, convict, that the Holy Spirit will reprove or convict the world of three things, of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin, because they don't believe on Christ. And all of these sins, aren't they related to that? Because the world rejects Christ. Of righteousness, because he as the righteous standard is in this world, but he's leaving, and the Holy Spirit is going to convict this world, reprove them of the standard of righteousness. That their goodness is not enough. There is a standard that's way above what we can imagine, and that is God's holy standard. And of judgment, because the prince of this world, Satan, the evil one, that he is judged. That he was conquered at the cross and the resurrection, and ultimately, in the consummation, at the end of the world, he will be judged. And we know that the lamb, the risen lamb, will be victorious. And so there's a spirit working. I pray that if you're an unbeliever, the spirit would be working in your life. And I believe he's working in this room and working in this world. He's also working in the lives of believers as well. This message is not just, though it's a Sunday morning and though it should be evangelistic, I think, it's not a message just for the unbelievers. It's a message for all of us. Though the unbeliever needs a radical, massive change through justification, the believer as well, through sanctification, we also need to change because we're not perfect. And we won't be perfect until our end, our glorification, right? And so the Holy Spirit is given by Christ to indwell us as a down payment in earnest, he says in Ephesians, until the promised redemption. And also to remind the disciples and to remind us of the words of Christ, all that Christ taught. The Holy Spirit is key in regeneration in the life of the Christian. It was mentioned last night as well, another change agent, is God's word, the Bible. The inspired, inerrant, authoritative word of God is a really strong change agent. The choir is going to sing this afternoon. I'm I'm looking forward to singing and to enjoying that presentation. We're going to sing a song that has been running through my mind and One of the main lines goes, not one word of God has changed. Every promise still remains. God makes promises, unlike humans, uh, that fail to keep their promises oftentimes. Not one promise of God has failed or will fail. God doesn't change. I think of how the, the word of God even cleanses us as believers. In this wonderful passage in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 and 26, where Paul is encouraging the Ephesian church to 
the husbands and the wives to love one another as Christ loved the church. And he says, husbands, love your wife. And I am, as a husband, um, taught by Paul here, by God's Spirit, that I should love my wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's a high and holy calling. He says that he might sanctify her. And here's my point, that Paul is saying, having cleansed her, his bride, by the washing of water with the word. That Christ is cleansing his bride. He wants a pure and spotless bride where there is that wedding ceremony when he's coming back for the bride. And the word does this as we read the word, as we study the word, as we memorize the word. And we see this gap. We see this gap between God's holy standard and we see ourselves, as James says, in the mirror of God's word and we see something looks, looks wrong. I've got, I've got ketchup on my face spiritually, right? And James says, if you walk away from that mirror and you don't do anything about it, that's foolish. But if you go and you do something about it, you apply the word of God to your own life. That's what we need to do. We need to, as Paul and many other New Testament writers say, we need to act in accordance with our new identity in Christ. That might sound simple, but he says, you are now positionally in Christ. This is your new identity. Start acting like that. Corinthian church, Galatian, Galatian church, Romans, Philippians. Act like who you are in Christ. Don't act like who you used to be. And I love the, the flyer that we had for the theme that I, I think Brother Phil and, uh, put together. And this is my main illustration this morning, and it's that of a butterfly. And I just love the picture, and as I started studying it, I thought, this is just wonderful. So if you saw the flyer, or if you just imagine a butter butterfly in your own mind, um, in, in the spring, in the summer, the vibrant colors, the striking patterns of the soft, graceful, flickering wings, I thought of God's creative genius, that when God put the creation into existence, he embedded characteristics into it that reflect himself, like I mentioned, with the change. And God uses the amazing transformation or metamorphosis of this worm-like caterpillar into a butterfly, and the two creatures don't look very much at all like each other. And yet there's this progression. Once was a caterpillar, and now is a butterfly. It's a physical illustration of a spiritual reality that we might not otherwise understand. It's a parable, a living parable, just around us, just like Jesus taught in parables in the Gospels. And so as I studied this and reminded myself of what's going on, first with a caterpillar, um, well, with this whole life cycle, it begins with an egg, and in the egg stage, it's just about four to six days, and then the caterpillar stage, or the larva stage, is two to three weeks. So once the egg hatches, there emerges this caterpillar that begins a cycle of voracious eating. And I think about the nice rose bushes that are outside, and these little, little um, I don't think they turn into butterflies, but I've got these little caterpillars and these little worms, and they're eating up the roses. And so I have to put stuff on the roses um, so that I can have a decent bush um, by summertime. But they cause a lot of destruction sometimes. They eat so much that they grow 100 times their original size. 
And I thought of just as caterpillars cause a lot of destruction, so human beings in their original state have the potential to cause great destruction, wars and killing and all kinds of crime. The Bible says that we are inherently have carnal minds that are at enmity against God. We make ourselves enemies to God, though God is pursuing us as the hound of heaven, loves us, wants to reach out to us, wants to be our friend. We don't naturally obey God. We just do the opposite. But the good news this morning, the good news from the gospel, the good news from his word is that we weren't intended to stay this way. We weren't intended to stay like a, like a caterpillar, like the old Adam, like a sinful person. We weren't intended to stay this way. We were intended to change, to leave here changed. And I think of in my own life, when I lived the life of sin, and I was in high school and, and, and a sophomore, and I was, like I said, a distance runner and cross country, and that was my values, and that was my goals, and I wanted to be a great runner. And so my sophomore year of high school, I ran a lot, and I was, I was really pretty stupid, running 80 miles a week with some, some bad shoes, didn't change my shoes, and so forth. And I was really good in the first race or two, sure. And in practice, I was beating everybody. But then what crushed my life and yet was a wonderful change, as I look back at it now, thank God, praise be to God, he crushed me, and I remember going into my, into my bathroom at my parents' house, feeling crushed because I had a metatarsal stress fracture, and I wasn't able to run anymore. I, the doctor said I had to take six to eight weeks off. What do you mean? I've been running all summer, 80 miles a week, and now I, you told me I can't run for two months? Doesn't make sense. I'm gonna try to bike and, and so forth. But God crushed me at that moment. I think it was a way. I know it was his way to say, Mike, your values, your goals, your priorities, they don't align with me. You need to change. And so God brought that trial into my life to make me change. So you have this caterpillar, and then the caterpillar goes to this chrysalis or pupil stage for 5 to 15 days. And that's where massive transformation starts to occur. This caterpillar is encased in a protective covering called a cocoon where amazing things start to happen. The caterpillar begins to shrink and sh sh shed its skin. Its organs dissolve, and it begins to die. But then after a pause, a new creature, as we read in this 517, begins to emerge. I thought this was really cool. When, this, when I read this biologist, Bern Heinrich, and he described it this way, he said, the adult forms of these insects are actually new organisms, where the first one lives and dies, and then the other emerges. It starts to dissolve and most of its cells die, with only a few cells remaining called imaginal cells. These few cells start to switch off the instructions. Check out this. They start to switch off the instructions in the DNA that make a caterpillar, and they start to turn on the instructions that make a butterfly in the intelligence. There are indeed two very different sets of genetic instructions at work, he writes, and this switch turning caterpillar off and turning butterfly on means that most of one body dies and the new life is resurrected in a new body with wings and legs and antenna. And as I was reading that on my, on my search through Google, I was like, that's amazing. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like the Apostle Paul. Exactly like what he's saying to the Romans, to the Corinthians, to the Galatians, to the Ephesians. He's talking about this metamorphosis, this change. 
And just as all earthly life begins with a natural birth, spiritual life begins with a spiritual birth. Leave here change this morning implies that you came here in one state, you will leave altered. And I think about Nicodemus. So here's this, this Pharisee, this teacher of the, of the law. He comes to Jesus by night in John 3, and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He doesn't know. And Jesus says to him, what? What does he say? You must be born again. And Nicodemus is like, what are you talking about? I'm an adult. I have to go back into my mother's womb and come out and be born again? And Jesus says, no, no, no. It's, it's not like a physical birth. I'm using the, the word birth here, but it, you have to be reborn by the Spirit. You have to have a spiritual birth. You need to be born again. And I thought it, it amazing, Jesus says, you must be born again. It wasn't just like a good suggestion, like Nicodemus, if you want to, you can be born again. If not, it doesn't matter. No, you must be born again. This is not good advice. This is an exclusive requirement. Just like being in Christ is an exclusive qualitative category, so is being born again. So there's this massive change for us that need and we call it justification, being declared righteous by God because we trusted in his righteous son. And we change, uh, we change positionally. We have peace with God. Before there was war between us and God, now there's peace. And then a lifetime of smaller changes occur at that, after that point, which is called sanctification. Sometimes change is fast. Sometimes change is slow. It's hard for our generation, right? Our generation that wants instantaneous change. We want to learn things just really quick. We want to go on um, with messages and TikTok. But change is hard, and change can take time. So after this chrysalis stage, we have the final stage, the butterfly stage. And the butterfly stage lasts, lasts, lasts two to five weeks for summer generations of butterflies. And if they are in... Um, if they're the, in winter in Mexico, um, some of them can last up to several months. But we're talking about a very short lifespan. And as humans, we, our lifespans are typically longer, but they're also, in comparison to eternity, they also are very short. When this chrysalis stage is finally over, what emerges looks nothing like the original caterpillar that went into the cocoon. Instead, there's a lively, vibrant butterfly. And this Vibrant, vibrant butterflies' natural um, purpose at this stage is to re reproduce. And I thought of, as we become Christians, that we are called to make disciples. We are called to seek other people to change, to become Christians. And a group of these butterflies is, is called the kaleidoscope or a swarm. You might have seen pictures of this, like of a monarch swarm uh, flying for many, many miles and they gather on their yearly journeys. Similarly with a group of changed people, uh, changed individuals become changed groups of people that we call assemblies of churches, where we have communities of making disciples. And we're going to sing this afternoon about, Lord, make us one. Make us one as a community in Christ. Even in the secular sense, organizations know that a change-ready culture starts at the top. The leaders must model the change that they want to see in those that follow. Christians need to live changed lives. We can't live 
like the old man that we did before and expect people to say, oh, I want that. I want that kind of change. No, we need to model the kind of change that we're preaching about. So the verb form of this change, the Greek word metamorphosis, occurs four times in the New Testament. And it's derived from two words, meta, which means change, and simply morphe, meaning form, to change form. The first two uses are in Matthew 17 and Mark 9, 2, which refer to the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. Remember that when it happened? While praying on a mountaintop in full view of the apostles, Peter, James, and John, Jesus begins to shine with the rays of light as he converses with the Old Testament prophets Moses and Elijah. And his appearance is so much different than they were used to it that they, the gospel writers call it transfigured before them. And there are two other uses of the word, metamorphosis, which are translated transform, and they apply to Christians. I really like the one in Romans 12, 1 through 2. And I think of, when I think of a person who has changed from the Bible, who do you think about? There could be a, a number of individuals, but one I thought about was the Apostle Paul, who was radically changed, wasn't he? You remember how, how it went in Acts 9, according to his own testimony. He's converted on the road to Damascus by the risen Christ, and he transforms completely from who he used to be one of the most ardent persecutors of the way of the Christians, of the faith, to one of the greatest apostles who wrote 2 Corinthians 5.17 that we have this morning. And Paul tells the Roman believers that they should not stay the same. He says, I appeal you to you, I urge or beg of you, therefore, brothers, in 12, 1 through 2, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And he says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. That's where it is. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This worldly system is trying to push you, to squeeze you into its anti-Christly mold. But Paul says we need to be transformed. I think about the image that's used in the prophets, a number of places, of the potter and the clay. How in Jeremiah 18, it says, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And what did the potter do? The potter reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. He transformed it. Even Brother Irwin uh, prayed and talked about the necessity of repentance. And repentance, the Greek word behind it, you probably know and have heard, metanoia, it means it starts with a change, a change of our mind, a change of how we think that leads to a change in speech and behavior, that we change and we go 180 degrees different direction from following a life of sin away from God to following after God. God wants to change us, but you know what? God won't force that change on you. He won't twist your arm and force it against your will. Are you willing to be changed by God? Paul writes about transformation not being passive but being active. That he says, one, you must present your body for spiritual worship. Secondly, you must not allow yourself to be conformed. That's active. You must be transformed. Both of these are imperative 
in the Greek, so there are commands, and you must renew your mind. It's an active day-by-day transformation in your sanctification. A lot of people talk about, they wonder, what is the will of God in my life? And they might think specifically about their career, whether they are to get married or not to get married, or should they marry uh, Susie or Sally or John or Bob? But one of the clear things in the scripture is that what is the will of God for my life? In 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, Paul writes, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. You know that is God's will for you to be sanctified, to be set apart from the life of sin, set apart for God's purposes, that in your walk with God, you become more and more like him. You become more holy. As when we became Christians, we were babes in Christ, and just as babies grow and they mature to adulthood, we're expected to grow into spiritual maturity. And this is a lifelong process until our death that you know, the writers uh, in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians, Hebrews, 1 Peter 5, 17, talks about young believers not growing, and they're, they're staying on the milk of the word, and th- by this time they should have been teachers, and they're, they're not doing and so he has to course correct them back to the gospel. And he says, you should be growing. You should be maturing. You should be changing to be more and more like Jesus Christ. So what does this growth look like? It's not just about our external changes but it begins with an internal transformation, not just on the outside, but also made new from the very inside. Our lives start to show the fruit of that indwelling Holy Spirit in our lives. The, you know it, Galatians 5, 22, 23, the love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering or patience, the gentleness, the goodness, the faith, the meekness, humility, the temperance. Where there was no love, now there is love. Where there is no joy in your life now, there is a deep joy that looks beyond the circumstances of your present life, that's rooted in the peace of God because we have been reconciled. It's just like a change of clothes. All of us have changed our clothes to put on our Sunday best to come this morning here. And Paul uses that theme throughout as well. In Ephesians 4, 22 to 23, he says, you must put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And here are some examples. Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth now with your neighbor in righteousness and holiness. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief, the old, the old thief, no longer steal. Let him labor. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ, as God in Christ forgave you. And another way that we are to be transformed is that we face difficulties. We face trials. We face struggles. Just the other night, um, when I was talking about the butterfly at, at our, at our uh, gracious host's house, they mentioned a poem and a song, which I hadn't heard, but I thought, that sounds great. Let me look that up and incorporate it. And maybe the song um, is a little bit different based on what you look up, but it's called The Struggle. It says, a gentle and kind man came across the butterfly trying to break free from the safety of its cocoon. The man watched as the butterfly wriggled and twisted its body, trying to break through the layers that surrounded it. After some time, the butterfly slowed down as if 
it could go no further. Wanting to help, the man gently peeled away the cocoon that surrounded the exhausted butterfly. However, the butterfly did not fly away as the man had imagined. What the man in his supposed kindness did not understand was before a butterfly can fly, it has to struggle from its cocoon so that the acids are removed from its wings. If anyone opens the cocoon before the butterfly does, the butterfly rithers away and slowly dies. And it concludes with the struggle is necessary for the butterfly to develop and fly. This is also true for us. It's true, isn't it? I know it is in my own life. That when everything is going well, we rarely change. We rarely grow. It's sad, but it's true. So God allows difficulties, challenges, trials, and struggles. When the marriage is good, when the family is good, when work is going smoothly, when the Honda Accord is not rusting over the wheel well like it is right now due to the Akron weather, when the house is not falling apart, we rarely change. When times of stress and hurt and difficult challenges come, that's when we tend to grow more. So our sovereign, providential God allows difficult circumstances into our lives to help us grow and become more and more like Jesus. He may allow an accident into our life. He may allow sickness. He may allow unemployment. He may allow earthquakes in Turkey. He may allow a COVID pandemic to test our strength as communities and Christians to love one another in the midst of decisions. He may allow prodigal children. He may allow to us to be persecuted for our own faith. These might likely start with just being made fun of at our by our friends. I, I heard a brother sharing a sermonette um, just the other Sunday at our home church. And when he became a Christian, um, his colleagues, his fellow students started to make fun of him um, in, in, in college. They might say, hey, you're different. What's wrong with you? Do you think you're better than us now? Well, why don't you go hang out with us and do the kind of things that we do? Perhaps we'll suffer at work. Perhaps we will be passed over for a promotion or ridiculed or our neighbors or maybe even our family members will start to ostracize us. And we know that we don't rejoice in our sufferings because we love pain. We love suffering. Who loves suffering? We're not masochists, but rather in Romans 5.3, Paul says, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance or patience. And endurance produces character, Christian character. And character produces hope. There's this progression of change. We also, besides struggles and trials, Transformation takes place in our daily interactions with one another. And I'm thankful for last night when I could spend time in conversation with others and in the choir that the writer to uh, Proverbs in 27:17 says, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. We sharpen each other, our rough edges. We need one another for accountability and for mentorship and, and to be sharpened by one another. So as I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping up here um, this morning, in a bigger way than just leaving this church service changed or leaving this weekend changed, this wonderful weekend of choir uh, singing that we'll look forward to this afternoon, I was wondering, are you going to leave this present earth change? 
Or are you going to stay the same way, the same cater caterpillar type of existence that you came into it? When, the, when you die or the Lord returns. You know, Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51, he says that one day, to the believers, we shall all sleep or we shall all die. Or, we, or rather, I'm sorry, we shall not all sleep. We, shall, we won't all die. Some, some will sleep and some the Lord will return when they're alive. But we shall all be changed. This corruptible should, shall put on incorruption and this, in, this mortal must put on immortality. This final state of the resurrected body. A body like Christ in glorification. He tells the Philippians in 321 that God will transform, God will change our lowly body, this, this body that's growing older and tired and decaying, to be like his glorious body. And I look forward to that that day. And I pray that you will as well. We'll sing about heaven this afternoon in one of the songs. Heaven is God's dwelling place. Heaven's, heaven is a prepared place for a changed people. If you're not in Christ, if you're not changed, if you leave this earth unchanged, you won't be in that place with God. Revelation 21.5 says, And he who is seated on the throne, that's God, said, Behold, I am making all things new. If you remain unchanged in your sinful nature, without trusting in Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, you will not be with the Lord in eternity. And it's not too late to change. Maybe you're thinking you're, you're, you're well past the time where most people come to conversion and become to be baptized. There's also good news for you today. If you are not changed, I think of that one thief on the cross who trusted at Jesus in his dying moments, and he shows us that while we have life, it's not too late to change. So today, as the Bible says many times, if you hear God's voice and call, don't harden your heart. But especially to those who have not yet fully trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, whatever is causing you to procrastinate, to wait, to put it off, my heartfelt prayer is that as we'll sing this afternoon in our first song, leave here changed, you'll so much different than you came. Answer to the voice of Jesus who's calling out your name and friend, you too can leave here changed. Amen. <laughs>